When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. O-Z-Y. Ozzy. Ozzy Media Productions. Uh, you know, they say a woman's place is in the home, and uh, I suppose as long as she's in the home, she might as well be in the kitchen. Welcome to the new wave of feminism. Welcome to each other. Welcome home. A new movement for women's liberation is launched. This is no simple reform. It really is a revolution. It was a simple but bold idea, even a radical one, to create a magazine by women for women. The first issue hit newsstands in July 1972 and sold out in eight days. It was called Ms. Magazine. Thousands of letters poured into the magazine's tiny Manhattan office from grateful women across the United States. The backlash against Ms. was just as pronounced, and its primary target was one of the magazine's founders, Gloria Steinem. Steinem was an outspoken 38-year-old feminist and writer, a leader of the growing women's movement in America, and she was about to find herself on the pages of another magazine. A popular men's tabloid called Screw decided to do its own special profile of Steinem. I saw it on the newsstands hanging open outside our, our Miss Magazine offices, it was open to a centerfold, which was a nude drawing of a woman clearly intended to be me because it had my hair and my sunglasses. And then there was a drawing of a penis along the side, and it said, pin, pin the cock on the feminist, like pin the tail on the donkey. And just in case Steinem missed her pinup in newsstands across New York, Screw's editor, the flamboyant pornographer Al Goldstein, made sure that copies were posted outside her office. Steinem's lawyer sent a letter to Goldstein to protest the demeaning centerfold. In return? He sent me back a box of chocolates with a note that said, eat it. Steinem was humiliated, but she wasn't about to eat it. From that point on, I just decided, you know, just you just have to ignore it and go on. Standing next to Gloria Steinem We must be living in dangerous times 
I'm Sean Braswell, and this is The Thread. Each season, we unravel the stories behind some of the most important lives and events in history to discover, essentially, how one thing leads to another. To do so, we will travel back through history, one story at a time, to explore the origins of an important event, a big idea, or an iconic figure. This season, how Gloria Steinem became a leading voice for women and helped spark a revolution for social change that still rages on today. Gloria Steinem has been a foot soldier in the fight for social justice and women's rights for more than half a century, and she's endured far more than just Screw Magazine along the way. Steinem was an early silence breaker, and her path to feminist icon runs through some surprising places. In this episode, we'll hear from Steinem about some of those places, including the time she went undercover as a Playboy bunny in one of Hugh Hefner's famous Playboy clubs during the 1960s. This season's thread is also about much more than Gloria Steinem. In the course of six episodes, we will bear witness to a remarkable chapter in American history, one that runs from the casting couches of early Hollywood to the doorstep of the Me Too movement today. It is a tale of power, glamour, and coercion. It is also a tale of liberation. Steinem put it best, the truth will set you free, but first, it will piss you off. The Women's March brought nearly half a million people to Washington, D.C. in January 2017. In Washington, the crowd was so big, plans to march near the White House had to be canceled by organizers. Not far from where Trump yesterday took the oath of office, others took to the stage. There were many high-profile speakers at the Women's March that day. Madonna, Michael Moore, Angela Davis, Ashley Judd, Bernie Sanders... But there was one who stole the show. You look great. I wish you could see yourselves. It's like an ocean. And it was that woman, the 82-year-old activist Gloria Steinem, who could put the moment and that ocean in its true context. This is the upside of the downside. This is an outpouring of energy and true democracy like I have never seen in my very long life. <laughs> Steinem has marched, given speeches, and raised money for feminist causes and other civil rights issues for much of her life. But to discover where Steinem's journey began, we have to first travel back. Back to the 1960s. 1963, to be precise. That's when Betty Friedan penned The Feminine Mystique the book often credited for launching feminism's so-called second wave in the 20th century. The National Organization for Women, or NOW, was founded three years later. This is Steinem biographer, Patricia Marcello. It was starting to be a thing. You know, women were burning their bras. Everybody's heard about that. Um, And, you know, starting to say, hey, you know what? Women being mothers and wives is okay if that's what you want. But if that's not what you want, then there need to be other options. Gloria Steinem was a reporter and editor for New York Magazine at the time. She had her own feminist awakening, her big click moment, in 1969. This is Gloria Steinem. For me, it was going as a journalist to cover uh, a hearing about abortion. I listened to people, women, stand up and tell the truth 
about something that was unacceptable, illegal, and just tell their stories. She was very moved by the women whose stories were told. She really took that to heart because that was her. You know, she had lived through that same thing. I had had an abortion when I was about 22, and I suddenly thought, wait a minute, if, if, if so many of us have had this experience in our lives and democracy should start with controlling our own bodies, what's going on here? And she decided then that she was on the path to help women do whatever they wanted to do. Here Steinem addresses a rally for women's liberation in 1970. Now, thanks to the spirit of equality in the air and to the work of many of my more foresighted sisters, I no longer accept society's judgment that my group is second class. Feminists were often portrayed at the time as a motley crew of unattractive, sex-starved radicals whose message would have a limited appeal to other women in America. This is news legend Walter Cronkite in 1970, on the 50th anniversary of women earning the right to vote. On this anniversary, a militant minority of women's liberationists was on the streets across the country to demand equal employment for women, care centers for mothers, child abortions for anyone who wants them, and general equality between women and men. Steinem began to write about women's issues. Her male editors warned her she was getting too close to the, quote, crazies in the movement. That didn't stop her. Steinem realized that gender equality would never come about unless women organized and supported each other and forced it to happen. Being an organizer is kind of being an entrepreneur of social change. Steinem began crisscrossing the country in the early 1970s. Her hair was long and streaked. She often wore aviator sunglasses, turtlenecks, and blue jeans. Steinem campaigned for the Equal Rights Amendment. She worked on behalf of Shirley Chisholm, the first black woman to run for president. She said what many others were afraid to say. This is no simple reform. It really is a revolution. This is Steinem, addressing the National Women's Political Caucus in 1971. Sex and race, because they are easy, visible differences, have been the primary ways of organizing human beings into superior and inferior groups. We are talking about a society in which there will be no roles other than those chosen or those earned. We are really talking about humanism. Steinem undermined the media's caricature of feminism. She was low-key, soft-spoken, and approachable, a very mainstream radical. What helped Gloria more than anything was her ability to get along with folks. She could talk to them intelligently, and, and they loved that about her. But Steinem's colleagues in the media zeroed in on another one of her traits. They would always focus on her because of her looks. She was tall and thin and beautiful, and so they made her the face of the women's movement. Steinem's critics also trivialized her as glamorous and sexy. They focused on her personal life and her relationships with men. They suggested there were other reasons for her growing influence. You know, if women could sleep their way to the top, there would be a lot more women at the top. <laughs> it just doesn't work. So uh, the whole idea of attributing your accomplishments or lack of accomplishments to your appearance is not something we do with men. Why do we do it with women? The focus on Steinem's personal life and appearance didn't stop. The Washington Post called her the mini-skirted pinup girl of the intelligentsia. Elsewhere, she was labeled a manizer, an oversexed, frustrated spinster, and much worse. For the most part, she was berated um, in public, just treated like 
she was trying to do something wrong instead of trying to do something very right. Esquire magazine published a damning profile of Steinem in 1971 called She. It transformed Steinem into a feminist femme fatale, one whose fame stemmed from her effect on men. No man who seeks to know how the wind blows, Leonard Levitt wrote, can afford to ignore Gloria. The article implied that her methods and motivations were also less than noble. He was characterizing me as someone who just cynically or self-aggrandizingly attached myself to movements. And it came complete with a cartoon strip, as I remember. So it was, it was quite painful. Steinem's treatment by men in the media only made her more determined to change things. She knew there was really nothing for women to read on newsstands that was controlled by women. Which brings us back to Ms. Magazine. So, you know, we just had the revolutionary idea of working for a magazine we read. Because there, there were, and I have to say, there still are very few publications for women that are owned and controlled by women. Then there was absolutely none. It was a totally new idea, and it was the first publication that took us seriously, you know, and said, yes, you are a citizen of the world. Yes, you are equal to men in every way. Wake up and realize it. The first issue of Ms. carried a petition signed by hundreds of women saying that they'd had abortions and demanding an end to its criminalization. Here is Steinem in a 1985 interview describing what made Ms. Magazine special. What makes us different from other women's magazines is that, first of all, our bottom line is we assume that women are equal human beings. We're not still arguing about it like other magazines. Ms. Magazine published stories about abortions, gender bias in the English language, the views of presidential candidates on women's issues, and more. It was communal, cooperative, and democratic inside the magazine's offices. There was no hierarchy. The masthead was an alphabetical list of its staff. And Steinem instilled the organization with a deep sense of purpose and intensity. If she didn't like the people that were coming in, if they didn't have the same mindset as she did, they didn't work there, in fact. Um, she required that they were to be able to say the F-bomb. <laughs> and if they couldn't say that, you know, they didn't work at Ms. Magazine. But there were major obstacles to starting a women's magazine. The biggest? Getting advertisers. We um, tried to get ads that otherwise were directed at men, cars and insurance and wine and so on. Such efforts met with little success. And it was nearly impossible to find advertisers who didn't want to dictate the editorial content of a women's magazine. But after a while, we discovered that actually we were economically better off if we didn't take any advertising, because what readers wanted and what advertisers wanted were two different things. And so if you look at Ms. Magazine to this day, you will see there's no commercial advertising. Gloria Steinem and Ms. faced more than reluctant advertisers. Many critics could not see the point of the magazine. One national news anchor gave the publication six months before it ran out of things to say. Ms. did not run out of material and left its mark on the world. Steinem herself, however, left her first big mark nearly a decade before the launch of Ms. Magazine. Up next, we turn the clock back to Steinem's frustrating early years as a journalist and a pivotal experience that kick-started her journey to feminist icon. Hi. 
had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbiotica is your solution to great-tasting all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or artificial nonsense. It's just pure goodness in every pouch. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. That's C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A dot com. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Okay, I love Walker Hayes. He's amazing. He's so fun. Such a great entertainer. And that's why I'm so excited that JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. The Walker Hayes for JCPenney collection is an upbeat playlist of instant classics with laid-back appeal and down-home vibes. As a dad of seven kids, he knows exactly what fathers want and need when it comes to their style. This collection reflects his casually cool styles with outdoor-inspired details and versatile colors. Perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th, just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Gloria Steinem was a voracious reader as a young woman in Toledo, Ohio. I mean, I would just pick up one and keep reading until I finished, regardless of whether it was a day and a half later. (laughs) So I think that that's why I wanted so much to be a writer. She eventually moved to New York City in the late 1950s to start her career in journalism. Steinem biographer Patricia Marcello again. And, uh, you know, if you've watched any TV shows or movies about that period, and I lived through it, so I know women were not considered to be equal to men. They didn't want women writers. They didn't think we were capable of producing a, you know, proper news story. At that time, female college graduates were considered overqualified for the secretarial pool, but underqualified for just about everything else. When I first graduated from college, I tried to get a job as a researcher at Time magazine because there was a system there which meant that women researched and men wrote. There were no women writing. And uh, I could see, therefore, that it wasn't, wasn't going to lead to writing. Steinem struggled as a freelance journalist for years. She was the, quote, girl reporter, who often settled on penning lightweight women's stories for outlets like Glamour and Vogue. Then, in 1963, at an editorial meeting for Show, an arts magazine, the young Steinem was thrust into an assignment that would change her life. I was sitting in a magazine editorial meeting, and because the Playboy Club was just opening in Manhattan, uh, I suggested that Lillian Ross, uh, who was a wonderful New Yorker writer, great, great writer, uh, go be a bunny. But I was kidding, you know, because she was, you know, much too old and too smart (laughs) to ever be a bunny. And the editors said, aha, you do it. So she did. Playboy clubs strive to entertain and titillate their wealthy male members and guests. They were the offspring of Hugh Hefner, founder of the popular Playboy magazine. The magazine had become famous for its nude centerfolds, known as Playmates of the Month. The Playboy clubs were quickly becoming known for another species of female sex object, the Playboy Bunny. 
A bunny is an American creation. She's a cross between a hostess showgirl and a barmaid waitress, well-versed in the art of charming the cash customers in a string of plush international clubs. Yes, it's true, proclaimed the Playboy Club ads. Attractive young girls can now earn $200 to $300 a week at the fabulous New York Playboy Club. Please bring a swimsuit or leotards. The 28-year-old Steinem did exactly that. She showed up at the Playboy Club under an assumed name and with no legal identification. She was certain she would be rejected, and her undercover assignment would soon be over. But it turned out they were so desperate for employees that they hired me. Steinem later wrote, Hippity hop, I'm a bunny. She soon began her bunny training. So they just sort of made you take off your coat and walk around and see if you could pronounce the name of drinks. Uh, And then they showed you the costume, which was incredibly barbaric. I mean, it left welts on your ribs and they stuffed your bosom with plastic dry cleaning bags. (laughs) (laughs) They had to be packed into a bunny suit, which was more like a one-piece bathing suit, strapless bathing suit. Uh, They had to wear cuffs uh, with cuff links, uh, black tights that they had to buy for themselves. They had to have shoes that matched their costumes, which they had to have dyed to match the same color as their costume. And they had to pay for all of that. A bunny is paid the best part of £2,000 a year. She's trained to perfection, meticulously groomed, and the rules are strict. No dating customers, for instance, is permitted on pain of dismissal. Every new bunny was given the club Bible, the Playboy Club Bunny Manual. It proclaimed, you are holding the top job in the country for a young girl. I remember one part of the bunny manual said, always remember your proudest possession is your bunny tail. This is Russell Miller, author of Bunny, the real story of Playboy. In these days, it's sort of faintly ludicrous. The manual also provided detailed instructions on proper bunny protocol and behavior. And experienced club trainers showed aspiring bunnies the ropes. Good evening, I'm your bunny Izzy. You notice that she smiles and gives eye contact with all four of us. We imagine that there's another gentleman sitting there. She places the napkin. Now you notice that she placed the napkin for the ladies first and with the bunny emblem facing the guest. Now when she places this one, you notice that she is doing what we call a bunny dip. The bunny dip was one of several prescribed bunny poses. You leaned back while you placed drinks on low tables in part so you wouldn't fall out of your costume. Bunnies were also given demerits if their tights had runs or if their ears were bent. They were told that company spies were watching them if they fell out of line. Steinem shared these inside details and many more with the world. Well, she was taking on the Playboy bunny image, you know. Everybody thought it was so cool, and oh, if you could work in a club like that, how cool would that be? Well, it wasn't cool at all. Steinem served drinks as a table bunny and took coats as a hat check bunny. The exclusive club was unlike anything else in the city. There'd be a small orchestra playing, there'd be a dance floor, there'd be a, a, a bar area, um, there'd be a, a restaurant. But the, the Playboy Club offered this unique facility of, of the bunny who was always pretty, um, always um, smiling, the, and... Um, Uh, You know, it was a a tremendously successful concept and a great night out for the lads. Some of the lads, as Steinem wrote about, did more than admire the club's costume staff. They pinched and pulled tails. They patted and propositioned. You know, I I was just wanting to show the reality of those working women. 
Uh, it was subject to constant what we would now term sexual harassment, but there wasn't even a word for it then. Uh, it was a terrible job. Steinem remembers one customer who grabbed a hold of her after his fourth martini. When she pulled away, he grew angry. He yelled, What do you think I come here for? The roast beef? Steinem worked less than two weeks at the club. She left with swollen feet, but also one hell of a story. Her subsequent essay about her undercover stint, A Bunny's Tale, made a big splash. But it did not receive the kind of reception she had hoped for. For the most part, it was taken as uh, lighthearted and frivolous. Steinem received suggestions from editors at other magazines that she pose as a call girl and do an expose on prostitution. They weren't joking. I was just beginning to get serious assignments, journalistic assignments. And after I did that, I, I was, you know, getting a lot less serious ideas <laughs> directed at me. For years, she regretted the Playboy story. However, in, in retrospect, you know, once the women's movement got started, I was, I was glad I did it. The story improved working conditions for women at the Playboy clubs. And it also opened Steinem's eyes in new ways to how women were treated and perceived. Steinem later wrote, Eventually, feminism made me understand that reporting about phony glamour and the exploitative employment policies of the Playboy Club was a useful thing to do. She says she came to realize that, in many ways, all women are bunnies. And that was one of the reasons that she got into feminism. She saw that women were being mistreated on a regular basis in all walks of life, not just as Playboy bunnies. Working at the Playboy Club gave Gloria Steinem the chance to challenge the world of male privilege for the first time and to break the silence on how women were being treated there. It was an endeavor that would change her life, and with it, the lives of countless other women. The Playboy world that helped transform Steinem and helped her transform the lives of others was the brainchild of a very different kind of American icon. Next time on The Thread, Hugh Hefner. The audacious playboy set out to reinvent what it meant to be a worldly, sophisticated man, only to become the poster boy for man's baser instincts. You The Thread is produced by Libby Coleman and me, Sean Braswell. Chris Hoff engineered our show. Special thanks to Gloria Steinem, Cindy Carpian, Tracy Moran, and James Watkins. This episode features music by Bill McGarvey with a song called Standing Next to Gloria Steinem. To learn more about The Thread, visit ozzy.com slash the thread, all one word. And make sure to subscribe to The Thread on Apple Podcasts. Check us out at ozzy.com or on Twitter and Facebook. If you love surprising, engaging stories from history, look no further than the flashback section of Ozzy.com. That's O-Z-Y.com. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. 
Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck, yeah. And some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Viking. Committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, cultural enrichment, and all-inclusive fares. Discover more at viking.com.